Keep in Touch listeners, Anna and Kate here, and we hope you are all doing well in your stay-at-home life. It's, I think, week seven of lockdown, quarantine, whatever you're calling it in your respective location. Yeah, or week 46. We're all doing what we can, I think, to stay sane. Uh, And we have an exciting interview with someone who's, who's in New York, which is obviously one of the epicenters of all of this. But before we get to that, Anna, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing pretty well this week. I actually took Friday off, which, I mean, I didn't get nearly as much accomplished as I wanted to, but I did get to sleep in and enjoy my life a little bit. I did join my two friends who are doing online workouts. So now I have the accountability of like getting up and moving and I've forgotten how much I enjoyed moving, honestly. I mean, also I'm sore and it's painful and I have to get up early, but (laughs) it's, it's, you know, good to get back into routine and, you know, Alex and Liz are a great foil for my, well, not even a foil. We're all sort of in the same place of like being grumpy about (laughs) being up and moving, but like, you know, we're in it together. So we pat ourselves on the back afterwards and then we complain over the rest of the day about how sore we are. Are these the friends that you were doing yoga with, or this is a different sort of exercise? Yeah, oh no, this is very different. Um, (laughs) This is like, hit and like... Get your sweat on. (laughs) Yes, yes. In fact, this morning Ricardo got to witness it because I was doing it out on the patio, and he normally leaves for work at the same time we're starting it, so he hasn't seen it yet. But he was watching me, apparently, out on the patio, and I came in and he was like, that was really intense. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I've been moving, and I took a day off, and those were both really important things for me. This weekend was supposed to be our anniversary getaway, which was foiled about five times because we were going to go to Hot Springs National Park and then we we're going to go to Houston and visit some friends and then we were going to go camping, but all the campsites were full. So uh, we're at home, <laughs> you know, staycation. <laughs> it's like, what can you do to transition from it just being another day required to stay at home to a staycation? I don't know, like change your outfit right right (laughs) well i did last night i said why don't we go somewhere and look at the stars and ricardo was like why tonight and i was like well why haven't we done this any of the you know 360 other days that we have (laughs) been together because we both like stars and talking about them so we actually went up to the regional airport and hung out and looked at the stars it was quite nice but yeah so i'm trying to do little things like that to uh make it seem fun and different and interesting and try not to be grumpy about not being able to go anywhere. But anyway, how are you doing, Kate? I'm hanging in there. You know, I this is sort of like I go back and forth between feeling like this is the new normal and just being like, oh my God, when is this over? <laughs> and I think the reality is somewhere in between those two. Um, we just had our shelter in place order extended for another month, which, you know, on one hand, like it's good to just know what the next four weeks are going to contain, but it's also hard to feel like, oh my gosh, we've already been doing this for seven weeks and now I have to do it for another four. So yeah, so just trying to to stay sane and be realistic about what we can accomplish and also try not to be too hard on myself when I'm just like exhausted with my toddler. But I am looking forward to so I had a funny conversation with my sister-in-law because uh, she has two young kids. And so we're both kind of like, ah, this is so much. But, you know, I've got this 
toddler who is not interested in arts and crafts at all. He just wants to like run outside and throw stuff and like is far more interested in breaking the crayons and actually drawing anything. And she has this three-year-old girl who's like, mommy, let's do an art project together. So we decided that tomorrow (laughs) I was going to go ahead and just like try to host a virtual art activity with her daughter. Um, So today when Liam and I went to the park, I collected a whole bunch of leaves and flowers and sticks and things to try to do like an example I figured we could do a nature project of some sort I'm not really sure how it's going to work because like obviously she'll have different things than I will and we're not in the same space but I figure just kind of wing it and just try to you know spend a little bit of time with her virtually and hopefully make something cool yeah so I'm looking forward to that I think it'll be exciting that's awesome so today we have my college friend Sanem. We met in a psych lab <laughs> because we were both psych majors in college. And uh, Sanem grew up in New York City. And then after we left college together, then went off to Notre Dame and now has been back in the city for some time. And she actually works with grants for emergency medicine. So while not on the front lines of being with sick patients, still in a very stressful, very important jobs. And in the midst of all this, and I'm sort of rebranding herself a little bit and and moving on from a very lengthy relationship and really taking ownership of her space. So I thought it would be fun to talk to Sanem about life in New York, life in the medical field with coronavirus, and also rebranding yourself during a quarantine. I mean, there's so just so much going on here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so hi, Sanem. Hi. I do have a suggestion for Kate, actually. I find seasonal wreaths can be a fun thing to do oh, with yeah. reclaimed items. But if you and your, you know, video chat partner have different items, you're still making a circle out of them. And just like a cardboard circle can be That's a good a great place idea. that you can start. I could also pair that with, because I've been doing a lot of paper plate art, and that is naturally a round shape. So yeah, do a wreath on the paper plate. Yeah. I made some welcome spring ones for myself that you might have seen in the backdrop on some of the video calls we've both been on. They're butterflies, actually, like origami butterflies. Yeah, awesome. I actually, not that this is applicable for your video chat tomorrow, Kate, but I did see on Facebook that some friends were doing nature bracelets with their kids. So they basically made them a tape donut around their wrist out, like sticking out. And then when they found exciting, like leaves or sticks or things out in nature, they could put it on their nature bracelet. And I was actually a little bit jealous that I didn't get to make a nature bracelet as a child. <laughs> so, that sounds awesome. Right? What a clever idea. Yeah. I feel like with Liam, it would be one of those things where it would just stuff would get accidentally stuck to it and he would just be more excited about that. Like, oh, look at this blade of grass I'm walking off with. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually thinking with my nephew, I believe that he would be on a nature walk and find like giant rocks and sticks and be like, why isn't it sticking to my bracelet? (laughs) Keeps falling off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay. But so, Sanem, um, I, I now said a lot of things about you, but is there anything else you'd like to say as an introductory ditty to our listeners? Um, okay, so, let's see, yeah, I do mostly boring paperwork stuff, so it's a lot of report filings, and aside from just 
like having friends who are doctors and nurses, which can be hard. Because you spend, I think I told my friend one whose partner is at one of the more higher volume, like there's been a lot of articles published about his hospital where he's an emergency room physician. And I'm like, I spend about 20 minutes a day worrying about him. But, you know, things got better. And then it got to like, I spent only about 10 minutes worrying about him. And now we're kind of, you know, there's still patients. Uh, there are fewer of them. Uh, the acuity is still pretty high. And I think, you know, Governor Cuomo covers it pretty thoroughly and articulately. Like what I'm hearing from my organization mirrors what the governor's saying. So that's been nice to know, you know, the micro and the macro lineup. It gives you sort of like a comfort that the narrative is something that, you know, as troubling as it is, at least you're getting the same messaging, which I find comforting. I wonder out, because I know you go out to the park a lot and mm -hmm. take walks at appropriate distances from away from other humans. And I have a, um, I've never benefited from my extensive scarf collection as much as I have. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I've been like, you know, quarantine chic. <laughs> Very nice. And yeah, I didn't buy the masks because I was surprisingly being optimistic because that might surprise Anna because I generally am not that optimistic in life. But I was hoping, you know, we'd be prepared and be on lockdown, but maybe hopefully it was better than the projections and we'd be back at work in two, three weeks. And that's not what happened. And um, so I didn't buy the masks until it became a whole thing. And, you know, they're saying wrapping a scarf around your face is fine. So I was like, and then by that time, like PPEs belong to medical professionals and I will not be buying them. So that's, and the park just, it's a huge park I'm near. It's called Cunningham Park. A lot of biking and walking trails. It's 328 acres. Yes, I had to look it up because a medical student I worked with was texting me saying, I'm worried about you going to walk in parks because Central Park's crowded. And I was like, I'm in Queens and I Googled the acreage to send to him so he wouldn't worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> Which was sweet. It was super sweet, right? But like, what do you, how does it feel, right? I mean. Yeah, what's the vibe? Thank you. That's exactly because what I was Because I feel like in San Francisco. Yeah, because you're there too. California's in this just as much as New York because we're so populous and we're dense. Like all of the things that make it great to live in a big city. Yeah, exactly are making it not great right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like, I don't know what you see, but I see the, the, the mix of reactions. You know, some people seem like really scared and paranoid and some people seem like they're not really taking it seriously. I've noticed this in the mask wearingness in my neighborhood, which is a weird thing. But yeah, so the people, like I wasn't wearing it until they said, because there are people who started even before it was required. And then it started to go up. Every time I would go to the grocery store, more people would be wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And then I still wasn't until they required it because, I mean, I follow rules, but I just like, I tend to feel suffocated easily. Like I can't wear turtlenecks for the same reason. So I was just like, until the guidelines say so, I think I'm going to... Mm -mm. Uh, but the minute they said, I started with the scarves and trying to test out. Also, silk scarves, not good for the breathing, but cotton is great. But then there's still people who are not, you know, uh, wearing them. 
it is easy. Again, I'm in the suburbs. It's really easy to keep six, even eight feet away from people. Funny thing is it used to be rude to move away from a person when they came towards you. Like, you don't have cooties. But uh, now it's like the polite, respectful, like, I value you, therefore I'm backing away two more feet. So I thought that's kind of sociologically interesting. But yeah, in the park, you assume the people walking together are family, but you don't know. And yeah, I mean, again, I, a lot of my colleagues I talk to on, on the WebEx meetings or Zoom, they are actually trapped in studio apartments and there's really no outlet. Like they're not close to a park like I am. So I'm pretty grateful for that every day. And I try to go uh, at off peak hours, either really early in the morning or in the evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, although a lot of people like taking walks at sunset. So that is actually a peak time because uh, it's pretty. But some things are universal. Like I'm wondering, like, do are we all becoming afraid of each other? Because we know about the whole rules of contamination, you know, like that's become an anxiety. Because when I see someone walking towards me, I didn't think that way before. And yeah, readapting to a city after that is hard. Yeah, I've been struggling a little bit, you know, like, even when I take the dog for a walk, and so I'm trying to, you know, not be near other folks and do whatever, but I'm also not wearing a mask when I'm just, you know, taking the dog around a couple blocks right by my house. But I, like, forget to smile at people, because I'm really preoccupied with the, I'm trying not to get you close, and if I go over here, and then what's the dog doing, and then, you know, there's just all of these pieces on my mind, but I'm realizing that like, I have no reason not to smile at those people. I mean, they might be infected. <laughs> I might be infected. I don't, you know, like, I, it's just been hard for me to square that in my own mind, right? That I am forgetting to smile at people. Yeah, I actually think that's been one of the advantages of having Liam is that when you're walking around with a toddler, even if I forget to say hello to people, he will. <laughs> so yeah, it just kind of reminds me like, hey, you know, like we're all in this together. And, and actually it was funny. I was telling someone the other day, my mailman, who's normally like pretty shy, like now he's always like, I mean, he's wearing a mask, but he's like, oh, hi, how are you? You know, how's it going? And it's just like, you realize like people are a little bit starved for social interaction. So even if it is from a distance or behind masks, a little goes a long way with that. Or conversely, you forget how to interact with people because every five days I go grocery shopping and basically the same thing I've heard forever is like cash only versus cash and card in one register. And I totally misread that cue and they had to ring me up twice because I didn't have enough cash. And I was like, did I forget general cues of social behavior by not engaging in it for (laughs) too long? It's like re-entry into regular society, like getting dressed for work, which I actually was doing for a while just to get in the mindset of work when I had some deadlines and I really had to focus. I actually like got up, put on my lipstick, put on my like regular work attire. And that helped for about a week and then it stopped working. Like most coping mechanisms seem to have a shelf life of one week. And then you come up with new ones being, you know, clever creative problem solvers that we are. Yeah. Have you done other things that have worked at least with a a short shelf life for you? Let's see. Uh, I've tried to like schedule something. 
like some human interaction every day with one friend or another. And, and thank you, Anna, for scheduling a bunch of those because <laughs> you've had the nerd nights and um, the check-in with the singles. And I also have a standing Thursday night date with a couple of my friends. And the other days I, I don't have standing means, but I try to like text people or call people because living alone, it, it's a whole different way of living alone in this kind of paradigm because, you know, going to the office, you like, I have a lot of work friends and I'd see them and every day I'd have lunch with somebody or other, or we'd take a coffee break together or have a 10 minute chat with somebody. And I've done some virtual coffee breaks with uh, some of my coworkers also. And we actually did that regularly on Tuesdays. So sometimes that during the work day is our thing. And we actually do talk business sometimes. And we realize like, they're just things I used to know just by like sitting in the same room with you or just like when you came to make your cup of tea after lunch every day and you'd come by and say hi and say, do you want me to make you a cup? That's when we would find out about what's going on, not have to have a meeting, but we had to actually be like, oh, is this program still going or is it on hold because of COVID? So it's, Quasi-work, quasi-break, and it's only 20 minutes. And that's human contact, too. Even though it's work, for me, that's something. And it, that does really help. Because I, I skipped a few days, and they were not good. <laughs> yeah. Are those normally, like, video chats or calls or...? Yeah, I try to do video chats. Also, like, there have been advisories from psychiatrists that say video chats are better than just calls. But I think... Some people like that and some people, and I noticed that people are increasingly not wanting to do the video feature, mostly because I think there are people who get their hair cut pretty frequently or things like that, where people are being more shy about how they look, which is odd, but I've noticed that. And I like in states that have quasi opened, you see all these like, I don't know if it's a bias, but there's so much about people like getting their hair cut immediately. So like... How essential a service is our hairdressers. Also, pails on home grooming, uh, also very common. I would not, because I, th- I actually believe bad haircut can ruin your life. And I would not <laughs> attempt that. Qualified professionals only. So There's actually a barber in my neighborhood that has a sign in the window that says, please, please, please do not cut your hair <laughs> during quarantine. I will be here for you when this is all over. <laughs> Well, I just assumed that people wanted to do video chat less, A, because there was some fatigue, or B, you know, they're just, like, in their sweats, they haven't taken a shower, they haven't, you know, yeah, those sorts of things, but I actually, I mean, I'm on a lot of calls during the day, but they're not a lot of video calls, so then I actually welcome video calls at night, but I have lots of friends who are like, I'm on Zoom calls all day, so I don't want to take part in any of your social things because I'm totally Zoomed out, which I totally get. It is kind of weird if you think about it because, I mean, my immediate response as we were talking about this was to say, well, I feel like if it's a work call that I can focus better on the topic if I'm not worried about what I look like on the camera. But then you think about it and you're like, well, would you really be that worried in person? So I don't know what it is (laughs) about the video that's any different from me just sitting at a conference table with my team. But I guess there's like an added level of anxiety because you're in your personal space And there's like, you know, a piece of art behind you that maybe someone's judging or something. I don't know. Well, people are judging people 
like there's a whole article on how people are judging the bookcases behind you and what you're reading. And it's also like an intimate thing bringing someone into your home space. Maybe? Yeah. Like I've thought about that a little bit. Like, because you're seeing like journalists' home spaces, you know, and things like that. Yeah, I don't really have any qualms about my colleagues seeing my home space, but I think it's funny. I mean, because most of them have actually been to my house because I'm always doing something. But I do think it's funny because now I've learned a lot more about my colleagues, right? (laughs) Because there's like, oh, you have a husband (laughs) or like, oh, you have three children or oh, you have an anime collection on your wall. You know, like whatever the thing is, but it's just so funny. Yeah, like Dr. Katz, during one of his things, he was video chatting with the governor and he has an amazing fedora collection. And I was like, wow, Hmm." you learn things about public officials that are not things you'd know. But yeah, so speaking of home decor, Sinem, you're sort of like Mm -hmm. retaking your space slash redecorating. Tell us about that. Well, so it's twofold. Um, My mom moved out as part of my rebrand, which was about a little more than a year ago. And I'm sort of like going through everything, like what's mine, what's hers, like family things and trying to pack up stuff to send to her. And But part of that is also exacerbated by the fact that I have a moth problem. And they're really hard to get rid of because they eat dust and dust is everywhere. And it's it's like a cleansing experience as well as a rebrand, I guess. But um, it's interesting. And But so what sort of things are I, you putting in your space now actively? Yeah, so that's like been the thing. The first part of it was getting rid of stuff and then now I'm trying to put stuff in it. And that's been hard for me because like I'm 36 and I'm kind of spent most of my life self-identifying through another, like, you know, someone's daughter, someone's sister, or someone's partner. And I didn't spend a lot of time on what do I want. And I spent the last two years on that. And some part of this journey for a lot of people starts in adolescence and it didn't for me. And that's been like a really hard question to tackle. And again, normally I have a job where I do work late and I have three hours of commute time, an hour and a half each way. And I've started getting out more before this, like making new friends. I went speed dating twice. You know, I was like putting myself more out there and not really being at home very much. And now I'm kind of back here trying to be like, who am I? What do I want in a more like constant way, which is interesting, like artwork. What do I want to put up? What does that say about me? It can get a little out of control. But it can also be a really good thing, you know? Yeah, so I just want to say a couple things. Number one, even for those of us that started those conversations with ourselves in adolescence, I don't think the journey ends, or at least in my case, it doesn't, right? Like, even... Yeah, sometimes I'll walk in my living room and be like, why is why do I even have that thing, <laughs> right? Or what's going on with that? But I was, you know, Kate's an architect and, and there's in a different episode, Kate's talking about having people over to her house and being like, is there enough of this kind of art or this kind of art? Or did I do this thing? <laughs> yeah. 
I just want to normalize that that is a space, no matter how much, you know, how put together people seem. I think it's continually ongoing for everyone. Well, I think also your personality evolves over time. And with that, your aesthetic changes as well. And I know for me, a big thing that has been really enjoyable with Andrew is that we sort of took the pressure off of ourselves in the first couple years that we lived in San Francisco. We said, you know what, it's okay if we have a blank part of the wall. We'd rather take the time and really find some piece of art that's interesting or speaks to us. Or, you know, we can put something there that's simple and easy in the meantime and then find something that we really love. But I do completely appreciate that pressure and that stress that, oh, everything I buy has to be this amazing, meaningful representation of my identity. And it's hard not to get kind of bogged down in that. And I think especially going back to what we were just talking about with all of these video calls and bringing people into your home, so to speak, that wouldn't normally be invited into that space, you feel like your home life is a bit under a microscope and that all those things matter more. So I guess I'm sort of both saying that I appreciate this stress, but also that, you know, like maybe we do need to give ourselves a little bit of a pass on it's okay if if you have blank wall or if you have something in your home that maybe isn't truly representative of who you are, but just made sense at the time. Or has a, has a fun story like yeah. that people might ask about. Yeah, no, I, I get that. It's just, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff to get through. And I'm getting there. I'm finding like letters from people. Like, because I have a lot of old family stuff. And I've learned about certain family scandals that I didn't know about. <laughs> and yeah, just like, it's a lot. And it's been interesting. And some of it's just like straight up funny. Or just like, oh, that's interesting. Why did we keep this document? But then it's so old that you can't throw it out, you know? Yeah, like my great-grandfather has war medals from the revolution. And I have them. I never knew he had to petition for them. So I found a little correspondence with the government where he, like, had to prove to them that he was eligible. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. I mean, I got why... We he kept the medals, but then he kept the correspondence. I should probably keep that. And I, yeah, I did, obviously. Have you ever thought about, because it sounds like you're a very artistic person, so some of your art could just be things that you craft yourself, but also maybe just framing or creating some sort of way to display these things that are truly unique to your family identity? Yeah, um, I mean, that's been a process because I have complex relation to my family so maybe not something you want to put on the wall <laughs> no and like how much of that like i immigrated here when i was seven and yeah a lot of my family passed away when i was young so a lot of the stories are not my personal memories and they were relayed to me through maybe not the most accurately reliable sources so, yeah, it's kind of, that's also been an interesting journey in finding things that were like, no, I did not know that was a thing. That does not match up with the timeline I was told. <laughs> so that's been kind of uh, fun and not fun. 
But I've noticed this is a trend also for a lot of people, not just me, since like Ancestry.com and these DNA things and like that show Finding Your Roots, which I watched. People are in this phase, like there's the thing people want to know more where they come from. But then sometimes, you know, you don't like what you find or you don't know how, like how much of it matters to you of who you want to be, you know? Right. Actually, my gut reaction when you were talking about, you know, getting rid of things or not, and then Kate said, oh, you could put them on the wall. And you were like, well, maybe or maybe not. I mean, I'm not necessarily advocating for this, but I do want to just say that there have been times where I've tried to hide from things or just (laughs) sort of brush them away. And, And I think owning them is sometimes harder in the initial go, but easier down the road. So I'm not saying that's the right decision for you. I'm just I'm saying that out loud for my own struggles and for, you know, anyone who might be listening and, and hearing that and, and, you know. Yeah, it's hard. What legacy do you want to hold and how much do you want to let others define you? Because they do in a way. Our family of origin defines us. Our culture of origin defines us. And again, for me, as someone who immigrated here, there's a lot I do not have in common with basically anybody in my family because I grew up here and I'm sure like you know if time travel happened maybe they wouldn't quite understand or even like me <laughs> because you know I grew up in a completely like I might be judging their choices by the paradigm of this century slash mixed cultural ver- worldview but yeah I mean I struggle with some of my second cousins in like basic definitions of things of like what family should mean and what marriage should mean what love should mean and I mean I'm lucky enough like I do have two second cousins I'm close with and they're I'm pretty fluent in Turkish enough that we can actually like say well when you say this concept what does that mean to you and we can have a really good conversation about that but not necessarily can I have that with everybody because you have to really let go of your ego and you have to let go of preconceptions and really be open to hearing them and that, that comes from, you know, mutual respect, which that I'm lucky to have. But that, again, is something that with older generations is not as easy. And it's certainly, it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Like, I've felt, I think, more Turkish starting in graduate school because living in Indiana and, you know, not being Christian. Well, I mean, being at Notre Dame and not being Catholic, we identify ourselves ourselves more of an other sometimes than what than other people identifying us as another so you know being an immigrant in new york city well who isn't i mean there are people who aren't but i live in queens which is mostly where the immigrants are and you know that felt normative to me growing up then i moved to pennsylvania where i'm at anna in college and i was like not normative. New York is not mm-hmm. normative. I thought I was living in America most of my life, but clearly not really. There's a lot more here happening. And I had huge culture shock my first week of college. And then I thought I had it all figured out. And then I moved to Indiana. And then I was like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> There's more. <laughs> There's more. And I and again, America is very regional and there are places I've, I haven't lived in. I'm sure if I came to Texas. Oh, yeah. 
there'd be more. <laughs> I felt a lot of culture shock in my first week in Texas. Um, although I was going to tell you, I also felt a lot of culture shock my first week at college, even though I'd grown up in central Pennsylvania. So the central Pennsylvania part was not the hard part. It was, you know, the folks that I encountered. Not to downplay any of your experiences, but... Yeah, no. Like, the whole, like, conversation I've had with multiple people of multiple backgrounds about whether I'm white or not. That's been interesting. And and how much does that matter? I don't know. Certainly, I think I'm, I'm a little too tan for, say, the likes of Indiana and, and when I was traveling in Minnesota. And I call that the not-quite-white phenomenon. But, like, if in New York, I would say that. People are like, what do you mean? I'm like... Um, yeah. So let me tell you the story about my travels in Minnesota. And yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, I've been on a journey of identity. So yeah, I, I've been thinking about that stuff intellectually and, you know, emotionally for a long time. But again, when you have time alone to yourself, when you're quarantined, <laughs> you start thinking about those big themes in your life. I've been saying I think like we all feel our lives and the choices we've made more intensely because we're in it because we don't get outside of ourselves. You know, even though I'm working, I'm working from home. It is really interesting. I have been thinking about this a lot because, you know, it's kind of like wherever you were at, both in terms of with your relationships and your physical space, it's like time just froze in this moment and then you're stuck there for, you know, month, two months, three months, we don't know. And it really does make you look around and say, oh, well, so this is clearly the life that I created for myself if I had to go back and, you know, be given the choice of like, okay, we're going to pause here or somewhere else, you know, is this what I would have chosen or do I need to rethink some things in my life? So, and I've been like pleasantly surprised. I mean, I spend a lot of time trying to make my home feel like a home. And so I feel very fortunate that this is a comfortable space for me and my family during this time. But I do always sort of think about that, that I have a lot of friends, whether they were just sort of like, in between moves in a temporary space or just trying to like test some things out with relationships or figure things out and it's like wherever you were on that day now you're kind of frozen in time for these couple months and that can be maddening yeah yeah i i've given a tool to myself and a couple of friends living alone maybe i can share I, whenever i feel really lonely I visualized the worst roommate I've ever had <laughs> living with me right now and just like hold it for all the reasons they are your worst roommate ever, assuming you've had more than one, I've had more than one, and doing all of those things that qualify them as such and pretend that's happening right now and there's no escape. Right. Yeah. And then hold it for like two minutes Maybe less, depending on how horrible the roommate is. And then let it go and then realize you're alone and you really appreciate it. And that worked because, like, I think conversely, I don't know, for people who are frustrated with their roommates who are hopefully not the worst one they've ever or their partners or whatever, yeah, you can compare it to, you know, my life, which is not all that great right now because it's hard. You know, I, I have friends who are older who have chosen to live alone and they would say, I enjoy my own company. I'm like, well, you're you and I'm me. I don't enjoy my own company. Like my friends who love to travel alone. I'm like, I don't get that. 
I can staycation alone like a trooper, but traveling alone, I don't know. I've struggled with that. But I think it's also the element of choice, too. Because I feel the same way about my son. It's like, sure, I love being a mom and I love my kid, but I would never choose to spend 24-7 with him and, like, not with any adults, you know? (laughs) So everything to an extreme, you know, everything in moderation, obviously, is preferable. And certainly being able to choose whether or not you're staying home by yourself that night or going out with friends, I think that's part of the challenge. Daycare is an amazing thing. It really is, yes. (laughs) I tend to find that I have a certain way of doing things that's just one way, and I love when someone else comes in from a different perspective and shows that to my kid, and maybe he can learn something of value from that. Similar to the way we all, I think, experience those outside, you know, forces when we're at work having a collaborative conversation versus just trying to work through a problem at home by ourselves. But I did want to ask you, because I am always feeling like I'm not sure what the right thing is. I mean, I try to do phone calls or if I can FaceTime calls with some of my friends who do live alone. But is there anything in particular that you as someone who lives alone feel is beneficial coming from your friends, something that has been really useful? I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty low maintenance. I like having friends just say, how are you? Because like that, just knowing someone is out there and cares, like as a disruptor to your potentially very quiet day is nice. But um, I don't know. It's like it's all wrapped up right in being single in your mid 30s because I do have a lot of friends who aren't actually and sort of like, yeah, it didn't used to be this bad. Uh, And now it's like, you know, I was starting my new life. And yeah, like you said, it's on pause. And I don't know. I think, honestly, we all, whether we're living in our own or not, just it's nice to remember that we have people who care about us and, and think about us. So, you know, it's nice when people check in just for no reason at all or share something about their day. Because, I mean, I check in with friends who have families, like, just to say, hey, uh, how are things with you and your family? I do enjoy the human contact, like I said earlier, because I feel like that's the one thing that makes living alone more unique is just like if you don't get in touch with, if you don't have a Zoom meeting scheduled that day or because I went, I think, three days in a row with no human contact one time because I didn't have any work meetings scheduled and I was just like doing budgets and stuff. And then that was on a Monday after a weekend of no real human contact. And that was rough. Because I think we're social animals and and we need something, even if, you know, it's not like a hug. And I'm not a big hugger, but I'd really like to hug somebody. (laughs) 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 I went to Oakland on Wednesday because a friend of mine from high school is a seamstress and she had made a lot of masks to send to friends. And so she had sent a mask to my friend who lives in Oakland, who's also we went to high school with and also an extra one for me. So I drove out to Oakland and it just so happened to also be his birthday. So I was really happy I could socially distance, like see him and give him a present and pick up my mask. But it was so weird having this moment as we're leaving and just knowing that I could not physically touch him or even, you know, really be close to him. Uh, And I know that's going to be how it is for a while. So 
It's taking some getting used to. But I really appreciate what you're saying about just checking in and not having it need to be some big formal thing and even doing it spontaneously. And I think that's something that, yeah, I mean, I try to do that, but it's good to remember that if you think of somebody, it's worth even if you can't talk for a while just to have a quick chat or... Or like a random text. Yeah. I actually was really, I, I sent out a lot of handwritten notes recently. I went on like a little bit of a bender, but one of them to one of my colleagues who I'm very good friends with outside of work. And she actually, and it was just like a, hey, how are you doing? Thanks for being there for me. I really like working with you sort of note. I mean, there was nothing special about this note. And she tacked it to her refrigerator and sent me a picture. And I was just so touched by this experience. So, I mean, I know we've talked a lot about the power of handwritten notes, but I just, I mean, literally this note maybe had three or four sentences to it was just, you know, hey, thanks for being you. And that was enough to make her (laughs) her refrigerator, right? So I, you know, I, I don't want people to overlook those as a way to connect with folks either. Yeah, I think just saying to a friend I or colleague, I appreciate you. Like, I had a I have a colleague who, did, who used to do that all the time. Like, I thought it was weird, and then I got used to it, and then she left, and then I miss it. But yeah, isn't that the essence of the check-in? It's like, I'm thinking of you, and I appreciate that you exist, and you're part of my life. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that's a good place to close, actually, because, you know, Sinem, I think you're right. People are, are getting into this space where they're saying, like, how are you doing and, and, and checking in with people. But I think it's also important to offer the gratitude there as well. And I, you know, I'm not sure that I'm great about that all the time, right? Like I'm sometimes checking in with so many people that I get a little bit lost in all the things going on. But I think, yeah, I think that's a... That's a good perspective is to to offer that gratitude of, you know, why you appreciate the people in your life. I know there's a a very interesting meme out there that says those people who checked on you during the quarantine are basically like your real friends. And then like the second part of it is like, we're all suffering in our own ways. Like that shouldn't be your measure of friendship and continuing to have some grace for those folks who are just trying to get out of bed every morning for whatever reason. But yeah, offering that gratitude for those folks who are in your life and, and the things they do to, to make it better that they may not even know about. And so I think that's a, a really cool takeaway. Well, yeah. And I think that this thing that we're going through is is heavy. Like, I don't think we think about it, but there is a sort of a PTSD happening, a trauma happening here with all of this that we're all experiencing in different ways. So being able to have a moment of levity or a moment of lightness where someone is appreciating you or acknowledging you and you're able to do the same, I think is really crucial for us not getting too bogged down in this and too in our own heads and feeling like, you know, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. So I really do feel like even the little things and the moments of gratitude are are really important. Yeah. Well, this has been fabulous. I have really enjoyed and and I appreciate your vulnerability, Sanem, and, and sharing so much of you with us. And I hope that folks benefit from it. I know I certainly have, I mean, for so many reasons, but acutely over the last hour. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're going through a challenging journey, but I think also one that's going to really help it's going to be, you know, a moment of personal growth. And I'm excited to see where you land at the end of this and what what your space looks like, too, as, as a designer. So 
Well, both my parents were architects, so I had some genetic training. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You're all set. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much, Sanam. It's been fabulous. Yes, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. All right. Keep in touch. Keep in touch. Right. Bye. Bye.